0: Today's reading is Paul the Apostle's words in Philippians four, one through nine. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay, um, what I'd love for you to do is uh, just, uh, just raise a hand if you're going to be having uh, particularly younger children somewhere near you over the next couple of weeks and run up to Christmas, maybe your own offspring, grandchildren, relatives, friends, neighbors, just if some of you got that. Okay, here's a quick kind of parenting tip I want to give you uh, when they're around your house, perhaps if they're misbehaving. Uh, Christmas tip, wrap empty boxes and put them under the tree. Every time your child acts up, throw one in the fireplace. So um, we love to be practical here. That's something you could take away and use in your home. It'll work a treat. Absolutely fantastic parenting tip, that one. Okay, I just want you to take a moment, turn to uh, someone sitting next to you. You might have to turn in your seat. Just tell, think of, just take 10 seconds, to do this. Tell them a time when you were aware of God's peace. Okay, just a time. doesn't have to be massive. Turn the to tell me and they've been out. When was the time you were aware of God's peace? Is uh, a time that comes to my mind. Uh, being outside, it's maybe a summer's evening. You're well away from the city, and uh, you're perhaps with some friends. And you look up into the night sky, and you're obviously well out of LA, so the sky's clear. You can see all the beauty of the stars, the Milky Way, and uh, the only sound is perhaps the cicadas going in the background. And uh, you're aware of the vastness of the universe. And yet in the vastness, you're also aware of God's love for you, that you are known and you are loved and you have a place and you are cared for by your loving Heavenly Father. And I don't know about you, I've been in those moments where perhaps being outside at night and you look up and you gaze and you're aware of, of the God's presence, that God is near and you, you're filled with a sense of his peace. And uh, Philippians 4 uh, talks to us about the fact that God is near us and one of the ways he marks his nearness to us is through his peace. And uh, th- this, biblically, this idea of God's peace is, is a sense of us when we step out of the striving and the busyness and the anxiety and the struggle and we are find ourselves in the loving embrace of our Father that even though there's so much, perhaps chaos even, going on around us, we can be aware that we are known and we are loved and we have his hands underneath us supporting us. God's peace also is about how our relationship with him is made whole and right, and therefore our other relationships can be made whole and right as well. And the Bible tells us that God's um, peace in that sense is only possible through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And um, In fact, probably this is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning, so listen carefully. When Jesus died on the cross for us, all the junk that we've done in our lives, our guilt and our shame and our sin, our dis ease and our disease, all those things get put onto Jesus. And, and the inheritance of those things that we deserve gets put onto Jesus. And what Jesus does in exchange is he, he takes those things off us and he gives to us his inheritance, which is eternal life, which is friendship with God, which is a real sense of Divine peace of reconciliation of wholeness of things being made right in every aspect of our lives, both now and forevermore. And that's what Jesus does for us on the cross. And then, because he doesn't deserve that terrible inheritance, he then breaks the bounds of sin and death, and he rises into eternal life. And the Bible tells us he's ascended and he sits at God's right hand today. And so there's this wonderful picture of of what God has done for us. Uh, we we read in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 9 that if we confess with our lips jesus is lord and uh, we believe in our hearts that god raised him from the dead we will be saved and when we're saved god comes into our lives and he brings us this incredible peace in romans chapter 5 it says therefore since we've been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ and you know the most important thing that any of us can do is make that decision to say jesus i trust you I believe that you died for my sins, that you have been raised back to life, and I want to follow you forever. And uh, at the end of our time uh, uh, the teaching today, we're going to have a little time of prayer, and uh, some of you, maybe you've never prayed a prayer like that, and I'm going to give you a chance to pray that. But I want you to listen to the rest of this talk, because hopefully this will benefit all of us, but for some of you, just just be brewing on that, and we're going to give you a chance to respond uh, like the scripture says, in faith to what Jesus has done for us. Uh, but this Christmas peace that uh, I want to talk about today uh, is it, it's not some new agey feel good thing. That's kind of what the kind of the pop culture tells us, paints it as. It's all just kind of feels nice because we've got all this stuff and all these things that we we acquire over Christmas time, and somehow that's going to give us a sense of peace. The biblical picture is actually the complete opposite, and it tells us that Jesus is this the birth of Jesus is this gateway into a wonderful relationship with God our Father. And really what we're being challenged to do is this. At Christmas time we're being challenged to live from the inside out rather than from the outside in. What the world tells us to do is live from the outside in. Acquire, uh, get all this stuff, do the things that are going to make me feel good. Whereas what Jesus tells us to do, he says live from the inside out. Allow me to come and infuse you and shape you and transform you from the inside. And as that flows out of you, that's going to change everything around you. And that's really the way to a life of meaning and of purpose and of peace. So uh, that's the kind of introduction. I want to jump into Philippians 4. Uh, So open it up if you've got it on your phones. If you've got a a Bible under your chairs, we're on page uh, 982. You can follow along with me. We're going to be in the text. It's going to go through verse by verse and uh, hopefully explain it a little to us. Uh, So verse 1, Paul says, uh, I want you to listen to the affection he uses. He says, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. He calls them my beloved. Um, and uh, Paul is treating them with great tenderness and great care. And he's reminding them that a few verses before the end of chapter 3, that they are, they've been, he says that you're citizens of heaven, as well as citizens of earth. In other words, we have dual citizenship. And he says, stand firm in that. Here in verse, one stand firm in that faith, in that new identity that you are a citizen of heaven, that um, we are people who instead of living from earth towards heaven, we live from heaven towards earth, that we act out of this new heavenly identity. Uh, if what it means is this: often we view God the Father as very distant, but actually When we start to experience God's peace and God's presence, we can view God, our Father, as so close to us. And we then get access to all his heavenly resources. We can act out of heaven towards earth. We get empowered, therefore, to live differently in our lives today, wherever we live, work, and play. That's the source of of direction and hope for our lives. And then in verse, so that's the kind of where he starts from. Uh, He then goes in verses 2 and 3 to talk about relationships. So he says, I entreat you odia, oh and that name literally means fragrant, and uh, syntyche, which is this other person, other lady there. And unfortunately, their relationship is not a pleasing aroma at that point. Uh, by the way, I actually um, Googled uh, um, F- uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, and I put it into Google Images, and one of the top hits uh, was this. <laughs> so according to Google, that's what they look like. Um, <laughs> But which is actually quite an unfair characterization because these are not fringe loonies in Paul's camp. These are, these are people who, he says, they've labored side by side with me in the gospel. Literally, they've shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These are female leaders who are very mature. They are pr- deeply productive. They're seen as peers of the men in Paul's company. And yet there's been this falling out between them. And he says, uh, he urges them, I want you to agree in the Lord. In other words, get along, live in harmony, uh, be of the same mind, cherish the same views. And uh, Paul, interestingly, doesn't comment on whose fault it is, why they've fallen out like this. And he doesn't even call it sin which I think the implication of that is we mustn't be afraid of conflict. It it does happen. But instead, his focus is on our responsibility to sort it out with the help of others. So note this. We're not given the option anywhere in the Bible when we have a difficulty relationally just to shrug our shoulders and walk away. We don't get to say, it's too hard. We don't get to say, it's not my fault. We don't get to say, they hurt my feelings and then just give up. We're to, we're to sort it out because we're called to continue to work together for the gospel. In the New Testament, there are over 80 uh, what they call one another commands. So love one another, bear with one another, encourage one another. And um, if you look at those, if you list them out, about 33% are about unity. Another 33% are about love. Another 15% are about humility, just do the theme. And then of the rest, mostly the rest seem to be about kissing and things like that. Um, just not sloppy, wet ones, obviously. But, um, but uh, the issue is this: uh, it's the issue is not do relationships amongst even mature believers get put under stress, because the Bible assumes that's going to happen. That does happen. That's part of being being human. The issue is instead, how are you going to deal with it when that happens? And if we want peace with God, we can't ignore where there is loss of peace in our relationships. So, with that out of the way, Paul now turns his focus onto the big issue, which is how do I experience peace with God? And in verses 4 and 5, he talks about joyful thanksgiving. He says that because God is near, we should rejoice, regardless of our circumstances. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And in fact, that calling to to joyfulness occurs 16 times just in this short little book of the Bible. Now, at this point, I should do the good preacher thing and and talk about the difference between joy and happiness. Uh, So one uh, good famous story is Elvis Presley, six weeks before he died, a reporter said to him, Elvis, when you started uh, playing music, you said you wanted to be rich, famous, and happy are you happy? and Elvis said I'm as lonely as hell and of course that reminds us that the circumstances of of wealth and of acclaim uh, uh, won't make us joyful but by contrast Paul is writing from a Roman dungeon and yet he's, he's overflowing with joy and we think how is this possible? I look at that how is that possible? it's the very opposite of the American dream Paul's calling us to here And the principle is this, joy does not just happen to us. Joy is a choice. We have to choose joy and keep on choosing it every day. Uh, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. In other words, it's a form of warfare. And that's why the enemy keeps trying to steal our joy, because when, when Satan steals your joy, steals my joy, that removes our strength and our vitality. And so the secret is just in this little phrase. It says, rejoice in the Lord. It's in the Lord. The, the way we can have joy, even when we face financial pressures, relational disharmony, sickness, horrible things in our lives, the way we can overcome this and have joy still is we recognize it's in the Lord. It's in our relationship with Jesus that we can choose to have joy. And, and And we have to realize that when God gives us a command, he's not giving it to us to frustrate us. He's giving it to us because it's realistic. And so that's where this principle of thanksgiving comes in as well. Uh, Because uh, we have to choose uh, to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving, because that is a pathway into joyfulness. Our temptation can be to withdraw from God when life is tough, when difficult things go on. But actually, we need to Seize these moments as times to press into God. And let me put it like this. Um, God doesn't send the evil and the yuck and the junk into our lives, but he can use those times. Uh, God will perhaps allow us to go through seasons when we feel like we're we're in the wilderness. But the reason he does that is because those are opportunities, those are times when we can meet with him in ways that otherwise we could not possibly meet with him. Uh, Let me put it like this. The wilderness... Is the place where the Holy Spirit builds strength and character in us as we fight the battle. Let me ask you a question. Just raise a hand. Uh, Who here would like to see more spiritual victory in their life? Okay, my hand's going up. All right, here's the understanding though you don't get the victory without the battle. You can't have a victory without a battle. And um, the, the Bible is very clear on this. And interestingly, it, it's clear on this in some of the places, places that we think are most pastoral. So for instance, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse five of that says, you prepare, talking to God, you prepare a table. And in the Bible, uh, whenever a table's talked about uh, of sharing food, it's a picture of intimacy and closeness. So talking to God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, Very interesting. In other words, what David's saying is that uh, we, in the middle of the battle, what the enemy wants us to do is to focus on the enemy and focus on the problem and focus on how difficult the situation is. But what God says is, in the middle of the battle, you can choose to focus on me and actually you you have the possibility of such a richness of encounter with me that you could never get otherwise. You can share a table with me. And so the way we allow Thanksgiving to be part of this is we recognize that Thanksgiving is a gateway into God's presence. You know, if 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 we're having a rubbish day, a really bad day, you know, we can choose to stop in that moment and find at least one thing to be thankful for. And when we choose to search for God's blessings, when we choose to search for God's beauty and to give thanks, it quickly connects us with who God is and his love for us. It's one of the best ways to sharpen our spiritual focus in difficult circumstances. Uh, One of the disciplines that I do, and I've mentioned this before, is that every day my prayer time, I'll stop at the beginning and think of five things from the previous 24 hours for which I can give thanks to God. It's a very simple thing, but for me it's been an amazing discipline uh, to live like that. Uh, Let's go on to verse 6. It says uh, this, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God. Uh, one of the greatest robbers of joy and of thanksgiving is worry and anxiety and Paul is acknowledging this is a huge idol for us and uh, the thing about worry is this, worry is faith in the wrong God. Worry is faith in the wrong God. Uh, Here's an illustration. I I read recently that uh, a dense fog that covers seven city blocks to a height of uh, about uh, 100 feet is composed of less than one glass of water. It's amazing. Uh, That water is basically dispersed. It's about 600,000 million droplets of water spread in this fog across the city. So what that means is just with a couple of pitchers of water, we can cripple the whole of Los Angeles with a dense fog. And so the lesson of that is very clear. Um, The things we worry about can sometimes just be very insubstantial, and yet they can cripple our vision of the light and the love of God for us and his promises and his peace. And so what Paul says to do is this, do the opposite. Instead of worrying, choose to talk with God about it. Prayer is the great disperser of the fog of worry. Don't hide and pretend. Be honest, we're told here. It 's okay to make requests of your Father in heaven because he loves us, but we need to turn to prayer rather than to worry. and then uh, verse seven, uh, there's this really interesting principle here that uh, we 're taught, which is because God is near we 've approached Him with joyful thanksgiving, talking about every situation. God can speak into our hearts and start to give us guidance and direction and um, The thing about guidance and direction is this. Uh, We often get to situations where we're saying, God, would you show me the way forward? I don't know whether to turn to the left or to the right. Do I go up or down? Which way do I turn, Lord? Would you please send me a sign? I don't know how to turn. Show me which way should I go, God. And we look at that and go, I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way, God. Give me another sign. (laughs) But God uh, has some wonderful ways to direct us and to steer us forward. And um, this principle that we're looking at today, that God is near, as demonstrated by his peace, uh, actually really helps us. So here in verse 7, we read that God's peace will guard your hearts. And the word guard literally means garrison. And what it references is a guard that's there to prevent a hostile invasion and also a watcher who is looking out in advance. And so if we combine those two things, what that tells us is this is what God's peace does. God's peace brings both protection and direction. God's peace brings protection and direction. In other words, the Holy Spirit will come into us. He will referee our hearts with his peace. And sometimes what we experience is the presence of God's peace And we think, okay, I'm moving in the right direction. And sometimes we experience the absence of God's peace. And we realize, perhaps I've taken a wrong turn. I need to perhaps backtrack and see where I got things wrong there. Uh, You could put it like this. God's peace in our hearts is like an internal compass. Helps us orientate and navigate the pathways of life. So for Hannah and myself, one of the things we do is when we're making decisions, we'll look for uh, where we sense God's peace uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, we're really aware of his peace in a decision. Sometimes we're not, and we, we, that causes us to pause. We've discovered over the years that if we strive for this, probably something's gone wrong. God's peace you don't have to strive for in an anxious, frenetic way. Sometimes we feel God's peace about decision, even when external things are telling us, wow, this feels like a slightly crazy thing to do. But we're aware of God's peace in our hearts, guarding our hearts, garrisoning our hearts, giving us protection and direction, and it helps us have confidence in moving forward and making decisions. Does that resonate with anyone? Just raise your hands. Does that kind of resonate with you if you kind of have a sense of God's peace and decisions? Okay, so if that's new for you, that's something I'd encourage you to look for, because this, this peace direction does bring clarity, and yet Paul says here, very interestingly, he says uh, the peace of God surpasses or transcends all understanding. And that word understanding is the Greek word nous, which we still use today, don't we? We talk about someone having a bit of nous. In other words, someone who has great faculties of understanding. They have, um, they, they, they make good judgments. They, they, they use their feelings well in decision making. And, uh, what God does is this, um, we find it so hard to escape our circumstances when we are thinking, when we're making decisions. But God's peace comes in, and sometimes it feels um, like it, it, it's, it, it transcends all the kind of data that we're taking in otherwise. Um, and and yet he, he will guide us, and he will steer us into the right pathways. He'll give us clarity about knowing when and who and how and what and so on. Um, and so uh, we, we have to... Uh, be aware of the fact that God loves to give us his peace and he will use that to guide us and to steer us and to help us make great decisions. Uh, And then just a couple more verses real quickly then we'll we'll wrap up. Uh, In verse 8 Paul does that wonderful example list of when of how to turn our minds in God's direction and he gives us these words and like most of his lists in the Bible, put this as an illustrative list, it's not an exhaustive list. But Paul's basically saying to us, uh, if you want to be aware of what God is thinking about a situation, if you're a bit stuck and going, God, you know, how do I I hear what you're saying, what you're doing, what you want here? One of the ways to jumpstart the process is to consider things that are simply characteristic of God our Father, characteristic of his kingdom, Uh, and 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 what that does is as we think about these things, as we dwell on them, as we ponder them, as we uh, uh, imitate these things, uh, they become well-worn pathways into the peace and the joy of God's presence. I don't know about you, but I find it easy to fill up my mind with all sorts of junk, with things that don't draw me into God's presence. And so what Paul is saying is, look, instead of doing that, if you choose to focus on things like this wonderful list in front of you, things that that these things represent, that will help you more easily come into God's presence to be aware of his peace, to allow his direction to infuse you and to shape you and to mould you and to lead you forward. That's one of the ways we encounter God's peace. Uh, Martin Luther put it like this, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from building a nest on your head, Uh, which is one of the reasons I keep my hair so short so they have very little (laughs) material to work with. Um, But but I think that's a great principle. So in other words, you know, the stuff goes on around us, but we can choose what we allow into our minds. It's going to shape our thinking and it's going to affect how much peace we have in our lives. So if you have a lot of unpeace in your life, then maybe one thing you need to look at is what you're allowing to get put and inputted into your mind. And then finally, real quickly here, verse 9, Paul wraps up, he says, What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so, uh, what Paul is telling us is this. If we want to move into joy and peace, we need to learn from others who do this well. Uh, for the Philippian church, Paul was an example worth following. He's writing from jail in Rome. He's overflowing with peace and joy. So we, they were called to follow Paul's example. And so the question for us today is who can you imitate? Who do you know who does a great job of carrying the peace of God in difficult circumstances? Uh, Who do you know, uh, and what do they do that you can imitate? What are some of their practices? What are some of the steps? What do you see in them? What characterizes that, that man or woman uh, that, that you want to learn from, you want to be like. And Paul says, practice these things, like the ballet dancers here, practicing the moves. You have to practice these things and we have to practice them repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly. You can't just get peace from God through kind of uh, uh, drive-by, just, just sweeping through. It's something which, which takes time to encounter and to draw close to. And, and so Paul says, practice these things. Be busy copying them and making them your own. And as you put these practices into your own life, these disciplines of, of choosing to be thankful, of, 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 of choosing to rejoice even when things are tough, of, of, of seeking God's peace when making decisions and so on, uh, what that does, it enables us to, to live knowing that God, our Father, is near, that his peace is meant to be close, and that his joy is a command to embrace, and that we can take thankfulness as a pathway into his peace and presence. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to um, take a moment just to pray. Uh, And um, so John and the band, if you'd like to come up, we've got a closing couple of songs and we're going to take our offering. But um, as they come up, I'd like us to take a moment just to pray together. Um, And so the way we're going to do it is I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team just to go to the sides of the room. We're going to take the sides today. So there are going to be some pairs of people out there who'd love to pray with you. And there's two categories of people in particular I'd like to invite you to come and get prayer. Uh, the first category is going to be this. Um, if you just would love to experience God's peace or God's joy afresh today, all right, you don't have to tell the people you're praying with what the circumstances, unless you want to, but it's just, if you just want to go and say, look, I just could do with a fresh dose of God's peace, and I say, awesome, I'll pray with you, okay? So if you could do with a fresh measure of God's peace, allow brothers and sisters here just to pray with you and they'd love to do that secondly and the second category is this right at the beginning of the talk i talked about how we can ex- enter into god's peace and that's through committing to follow jesus christ as our lord and our savior and i said then i'd give you a chance to pray for that so again if you would like to say yes to, i want to commit my heart to following jesus i want to know that i've trusted jesus as my savior that uh, he takes from me all the junk that's been in my life and I receive from him all the wonderful inheritance that he has. And that's the pathway to experiencing God's peace. If you were in that place, again, I'd like to invite like, you to go out to one of our pairs of people and just say, hey, I want to, I want to say yes to Jesus today. And they would love to just to pray very gently with you and lead you into doing that. And for the rest of us, we're going to stand and we're going to worship and, and do that. But as, as we stand now, if you would like that prayer, just head across the sides of the room and there's going to be folks
0: there to pray with you. So let's stand, and John, you're going to lead us.